All right. I am excited to have on the podcast with me today, Eric Miller. He is a friend, a new friend that I've made in 2020. Um, I've stalked him for some time on social media and we just connected this year and have just enjoyed getting to know him and what he's doing in Cincinnati. He lives in Cincinnati. He's in the middle of a Bible studies degree as well. So he has a real heart for evangelism, for discipleship, and I've I've so appreciated watching him on social media just share different stories of things, conversations he has and, and activities he's a part of there in Cincinnati. Just like evangelizing as a person, like not a specific organization or formal ministry. And so I just invited him on. I said, hey, I'd love to just chat with you about discipleship, about evangelism, and what that looks like in everyday life. And so that's what we discuss. We also get into some things we're learning, studying in, in Bible college and so forth. Um, Eric is someone that I've worked with, with the Restorative Faith gr- Community Facebook group, uh, where we provide resources to help Anabaptists think about racial conversations, racial conflicts of our day. So you can check out the Restorative Faith Community on Facebook there. Um, we recorded this several weeks ago, and at the time, I was babysitting my sons. Um, my wife was hung up in the middle of a doctor's appointment, and so we had set this time to to do the recording, and he just flowed with all the ins and outs of watching kids while recording a podcast episode. So you, you're going to hear sometimes where I jump out, and I chopped out the five minutes or wherever where I was gone. <laughs> But there's a lot of inter- interruptions and distractions and so forth, which if you've been listening to this show for very long, you know that comes with the ticket, right? So, But I'm just grateful that uh, Eric was willing to take the time to have this conversation, and I hope that you find this helpful and inspiring in your walk with God. Again, if you want to leave a comment, uh, you can do so either on YouTube or you can review the podcast on iTunes or you can... Email us at podcast at asherwhitmer.com. You can also support us at patreon.com forward slash asherwhitmer. One of the things we've been doing on Patreon is a cultural analysis once a month. And we just take a deep dive into a cultural phenomenon that we're experiencing and just how do we think Christianly about it. And one of the most recent ones we did was thinking through the Black Lives Matter movement. So if you're interested in those further resources, consider joining our Patreon support program. and you can learn more at patreon.com forward slash Asher Whitmer. All right. Now for my conversation with Eric. Okay. All right. We're going here. It's good to have you on, Eric. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's um, So I just hit record here. I, I've not met Eric person, or personally. I guess this is personally in the age of 2020, but <laughs> um, not met Eric face to face. As with many of my guests on the show this year, but um, I don't know where I first saw something you posted. It's been several years because I've stalked you a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's from your good friends with Zach Barkman. Is that correct? That's correct. I don't know if it was if he shared something you posted or what, but I started seeing this Eric Miller on Facebook in different posts. As, and I've been in ever since starting a podcast. I can't even remember what you were posted about, like what the thing was. <laughs> but I was just like, oh, that would be a, a cool guy to contact to be on the the podcast. But I oh, didn't. I um, they never really. I mean, 
I was still kind of getting used to like, how do do I just ask a random stranger, hey, you want to come on the podcast? (laughs) um, And then you, this summer, you had the the video on Candace Owens that Mm -hmm. went kind of, I guess you could say viral. Um, And I think it was after that, I friended you and just started seeing your posts again. It was just like, really... um, I guess the thing that has struck me about you, Eric, is in an age of, okay, so what I noticed was, first of all, in that video with Candace Owens, you're, you're very passionate about thinking Christianly about racial issues, and particularly for all our Christian friends who were really passing around Candace Owens' video, thinking through like how much her rhetoric is not aware of or from the foundation of a gospel um perspective right and just broader into all kinds of subjects and just life you care a lot about the gospel care about sharing the gospel with others and and you if you follow eric on facebook or anything you just pick that up immediately and i've been blessed and challenged in following you on Facebook, just in using the medium of social media to be a witness and then to, to also maybe um, like tell testimonies of what's going on, what, what you're doing, conversations you have as you hand out Bibles in your community and so forth. And like, that's not super normal today for a 20, (laughs) what are you? 25, 26, 25. Yeah. Um, street evangelism maybe went through an era maybe where it was a little more popular, but now it seems to kind of be tailoring out. And, um, and so to see someone young like you, uh, you're about the same age as me. So I guess we're both young <laughs> or we're both. Getting there we go. <laughs> um, we can still be counted as young. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I was just, I've just been intrigued uh, by the things you share and just wanted to talk with you. I live in Northeast LA and have been involved in quite a bit of, of discipleship. Okay. Earlier on, we would have done a little more kind of passing out tracks and street evangelism kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Recently, I've turned more to more, uh, uh, more of an emphasis on discipleship. I mean, I, I know it's all discipleship, but thinking in terms of having a few people that I draw in a little more closely and try to, to walk with them in life. Part of that is, um, yeah, maybe we'll get into it a little bit. Some of why why I've re re thought some of that, but um, I just love just to get to know you myself a little bit better. And then obviously for my listeners, I, I have no clue if people know Eric Miller from you live in Cincinnati now, right? I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm from, from Champaign, Illinois. Okay. Champaign, Illinois. That is very familiar to me. I have relatives in Illinois. I'm trying to, I'm trying to place it. Is it up North? Or is We're it middle? East Central. So about okay. two hours South of Chicago. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Just tell us a little bit about yourself where, um, yeah, obviously sure. for the rest of my audience, you've heard me mention, 
restorative faith a little bit. Eric and I have had some more interaction through the restorative faith group this summer. Uh, he just recently shared what maybe a month or so ago you were on one of the events addressing adoption and abortion. And that's a conversation I'd like to get into a little bit more too later on, but yeah, just uh, give a little background who you are, what, what you're up to. Yeah. So, um, uh, like, like I mentioned, I, I'm living right now in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been here since uh, fall of 2015, um, born and raised in Champaign, Illinois, and I moved over here um, to study. I moved for school. Um, I was going to a university called Cincinnati Christian University, uh, and then about two years into my degree, uh, I transferred to a school called Bi- God's Bible School in College, and my other school closed. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm actually still working on my degree. Um, I was uh, not always a full-time student when I was at CCU, so I kind of stretched my four-year degree out, and I wasn't. I stopped taking out loans. I said, I'm just going to pay for it as I go mm. along. Um, so I've just kind of been enjoying the ride uh, while I've been here in uh, Cincinnati, and up until probably March, the beginning of the pandemic, um, I was um, a lay minister in a local church. Uh, we were a small uh, Spanish-speaking congregation, and uh, I was one of the teachers and preachers. So that's kind of what I'm doing. Uh, well, I, that that ministry has ended, but um, uh, I'm still in school and working and uh, active in evangelism and other things in my community. So. Okay. Yeah, cool. So you are still currently going to God's Bible school and college. Okay. I am. Yeah. Yes. What, what degree are you going for? Uh, biblical studies. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause um, I'm, I'm currently going for biblical studies degree as well at Eternity Bible college. So I enjoy okay. some of the stuff you share uh, in different, I don't know if there's different Facebook groups we've overlapped in or what, but I, I've seen some of your thoughts. It's like, oh, yeah, it's things I've thought about too, wondered. <laughs> so, yeah, like um, you, you are looking at going long term down to Central America. Is that correct? I've kind of picked to, that up. To Mexico, yes. To Mexico, uh, okay. That that is that's the 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 dream, the desire, the goal for the past ooh, probably eight or so years. <clears throat> okay. What spurned that vision? Or yeah, so um, when I was a well, close to my senior year of high school, um, I took a short-term mission trip down to a uh, a children's home in um, around Mexico City. This would have been December twenty-seventh, two thousand eleven. That's when I went for the first time. And uh, we talk about life-changing trips, and I can get kind of trite, but um, this was truly a life changing trip for me. Um, Hmm. And I spent about a week there, went back again uh, in August of 2012, Um, waited two years um, because I couldn't go back with the group that I had gone with the previous two times. And then went by myself sort of um, uh, as an intern, stayed down there for three months. Hmm. And during all this time, I'm really just kind of discerning this Mm, call and desire in my own heart to do ministry among Spanish-speaking people, uh, both in the United States and then hopefully in the future in Mexico. There was just, uh, I caught the bug, <laughs> the Holy Spirit bug or something while I was down there and uh, 
it really changed my life. I taught myself Spanish and just kind of adopted another nationality. And that's you know, just kind of the, the road that I've been traveling on for the past several years now. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Wait, so you taught yourself Spanish while living in the U.S. or did you go down there to learn Spanish? No, I was never down there long enough for, for that. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was while I was in the States. Yeah, yeah, I really admire that because we have, obviously here in L.A., uh, Spanish is, for the most part, a large, uh, it's, it's kind of tricky because people that are like the youth and the younger adults actually don't know a whole lot of Spanish. Right. But the, uh, parents, obviously, if you want to interact with them, uh, so many of them, it'd be best to know Spanish. For sure. My, I've got two siblings, two younger siblings who know Spanish. There's other people in our community who can converse in Spanish. I have tried to learn Spanish earlier like when we first moved out and Uh that's that's really hard especially when you're not in the area that is that where like you have to speak the language that right right no i um, understand yeah so yeah definitely definitely uh you can do it man it's not (laughs) listen i don't have any kind of special language gene But uh, yeah. and, and Spanish is a good it's a good beginner language to learn. But I'm, yeah, I'm jealous. Yeah. I need to get over to L.A. sometime and visit you guys because uh, there's yeah. lots of lovely Spanish speaking ministry and things like that that's going on over there. Yeah. Yeah. Come on over. We'd love to have you. So what like you um, you do a lot in your community. What what all do you do? Is it is, as far as I, I see you post about handing out Bibles and just conversations with people. I think just earlier today you were pl- praying at a Planned Parenthood facility. Yeah. Is that in your community or did you, is that across town a little ways? Or? Yeah, it's about 10 minutes away. 10 minutes away. Yeah. Um, I'm curious just to, just to get a better picture. And I yeah. think, I don't know why this has intrigued me, but I think partly, yeah. We so often have ministry compartmentalized mm-hmm. and, and we, we do ministries. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's, maybe you're a part of a ministry that actively engages your community and that's great. That's perfect. But yeah. the way you talk about it on fit, social media, it's, it just seems like you have these conversations and I think it's important that being a disciple of Jesus is whether it's an official, like we're getting together on Thursday night to go pass out Bibles, or it's just something we do in within our neighbors and stuff with our neighbors. Um, that's what being a disciple of Jesus is. And I'm curious, what, what is it like for you? Is, is it, and what has kind of been the motivation for reaching out and moving in? As I understand it, you kind of moved into downtown Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just right outside of downtown, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember when I went to the university I was going to go to. Um, this was again my senior year, um, and this was for um, I did competitive Bible memory. <laughs> that was a thing. Oh, okay. And uh, we had a tournament at uh, that uh, Cincinnati Christian, um, and I remember they were warning all of us. Uh, players, you know, don't go down the hill because the school sits on top of a huge hill. Don't go down the hill because it's dangerous down the hill and you know, you'll get attacked or you'll get shot or whatever. Uh, and I remember thinking to myself, like, 
man, we we should go down the hill. Like I want to see, yeah. <laughs> I want to see what's down there. And uh, it was during that occasion that I made my decision that I wanted to go to CCU because I felt like, you know, we're supposed to be the light in the darkness, and I want to go where the darkness is. Hmm. Um, and man, the Lord has answered that prayer <laughs> in ways that I didn't I didn't think about honestly, in ways honestly He reminded me like, wait a second, you prayed for this sometimes when I'm complaining. Uh, because there is a lot of darkness uh, in the community that I live in. And I think you make uh, a good point that discipleship is not just about being a part of like established parachurch ministries. Uh, That's important. And I'm so thankful Mm -hmm. for those. Um, But it should just be a natural part of, of who we are as people. You know, we are Christians, we're followers of Jesus. And so the natural outgrowth of our life should be having conversations with people and helping people and talking to people. Um, and so I don't, I'm not really a part of any established group or ministry. Um, you know, uh, I just try to, to identify the areas in my community where I feel like I can, you know, be visible and make a difference and things of that nature. Um, I like to actively directly talk to people about the gospel. And that's one of the reasons why I do the um, uh, handout Bibles. Um, mm-hmm. I also go around and, uh, you know, pick up trash in the, in the neighborhood. Um, and I, I talk to a lot of the, uh, the uh, prostitutes that are uh, mm-hmm. in our neighborhood. These are three areas that I identified. And uh, if I could just say something quickly about the, the trash part of it, um, you think like, well, what is that? You know, picking up trash in the neighborhood. Um, some of the best conversations that I've had with people about the gospel and some of the best relationships mm-hmm. I've had have been when I'm out with a trash bag, you know, and you get to see your neighbors and, you know, otherwise, you know, when do you get to see and talk to people? You know, we're all in our homes, we're all doing our own stuff, but when you're out and around, it's one way to show people that you care, but also you just bump into people. Um, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with the Bible ministry as well. Um, I would love for everybody to get a Bible, but it's actually a little bit more than that. It was a way of trying to um, establish myself in the community, to get to know people on a deeper level, hopefully start Bible studies um, and things of that nature. It just takes you getting out of your comfort zone a little bit, getting out where the people are. Uh, and again, you don't need an established ministry to do that. You can, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm so thankful for those established ministries uh, in Cincinnati and in Price Hill, my community where I live, the neighborhood, who are doing that. Uh, but again, that should just be a natural outflow of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, I we we have done um, some trash picking. When, when my wife and I got married, so we moved, sorry, I'm jumping all over the place here we moved out as a family my family in 2008 from the midwest town of international falls minnesota so very like from one pretty much a city that had one ethnicity one culture one Uh for the most part one economic level even obviously uh in rural areas you don't necessarily sure. have a downtown that's poor. It's maybe the the people in the country that are poor. Yeah. But from there to the second largest metropolis <laughs> in the country. Um, so, like, yeah, there's a journey there, obviously. Like, my my dad was a pastor and has always had a heart for ministry. 
which naturally led to this move. And I, I didn't really catch a vision for the move until there were two youth that just needed something to do and were so hungry. And I was at a stage of life. I had just graduated high school and wasn't in any college or anything. And so it was at a stage of life to do stuff with them. That's kind of when I started catching a vision, but there is this area of town that is notorious for, for gang violence, for uh, even some prostitution that has gone on there, drug dealing. And we knew about it, had kind of heard about it when we moved into the area. Four years later, my wife and I get married and the cheapest housing is in that area, in that community. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so (laughs) we, uh, we, just a second, it looks like my son needs something here. Fine. Now I'm trying to remember where we were. I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so. You're talking about how you moved. Um, Oh, yeah, Teresa and I. Yeah. Moved when we first got married. We moved into Drew Street, which you can Google Drew Street, Los Angeles, and and there's all kinds of history about that. But the thing that, this is what I was trying to get to, is the thing, we lived there a year and a half before we moved to Thailand for three Mm -hmm. years. And what I always reflect back on that, when we moved back from Thailand, we lived in a similar area, not not quite that area. Mm -hmm. And now we've moved up closer to the college I was going to and also had a little more outdoor space. Yeah. But just the the way living in a community like that forced okay i won't be there forced like naturally caused us to bump into people more often right <laughs> well thanks for being patient with <laughs> you are totally fine uh, so yeah i'm i'm just curious that I, I kind of forget where we were what we were talking about you were still talking about the you're trying to tell me about your move to uh <laughs> yeah yeah true street and just being forced to like when you live in a highly con- i think that's true from going from country to city and then from yeah. city like suburbia suburbia is maybe even worse than country cuz country you're so far away from I don't know. I've actually never lived in the country. So, but you learn to maybe rely on your neighbors and what your neighbors have as far as resources more. Yeah. If you're far away from cities. Um, I'm just thinking of like my grandparents who live in country. Uh, uh, maybe that's totally false, but then like suburbia is kind of the epitome of, you could just live in your own little world. Right. And, then you move into downtown and often the the areas that those of us who grew up in more uh safeguarded areas i guess you could say or more rural areas often the areas that feel most risky are first of all it struck us that they have kind of a small town feel and that like everybody knows each other and you get to know everybody and yeah um but then they 
you're presented with more opportunities to minister because you have to be out and about. And right. You were talking about picking up trash. Um, that's something we, we, we had done on Drew Street as well. And mm-hmm. just uh, a lot of different, we lived in an apartment complex. And so there were birthdays and weekend parties and stuff that made it so loud that you just, you go hang out with them too, or <laughs> like, it's not like you can really yeah, right. do something. <laughs> You're not getting to sleep though. <laughs> yeah. But I'm curious what, um, what is your motivation? I guess you could say, cause we all know mm. we need to make disciples. Yeah. What is your motivation daily? Like personally for, for, handing out the Bibles. You said it's a, it was a way of establishing yourself in the community for sharing the gospel. Um, what is your motivation and why do you think it's hard for us to do that on a regular basis? Those are good questions. Um, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is um, when the Apostle Paul says, we are there for Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And I love that passage um, because it's really just kind of the mission statement of the, <laughs> of the, of the, of the Christian faith. And uh, I kind of adopted it as my own personal, I don't know, mission for, you know, for why I do the things that I do. And I think at, at one fundamental level, it's, just a question of being logical. Um, as a kid, I remember asking my mom all the time, you know, why is it that we are not, and I'm thinking we as like a, a church, like a local church, like why are we not more active in talking about evangelism and sharing our faith or proclaiming the gospel? If we actually believe that this is true, you know, shouldn't this be like the motivating factor of our lives? Um, and I think that's kind of where my own desire and love for evangelism has come, um, just from trying to sit with the reality of what the Christian faith is and the truth of who Jesus Christ is, and recognizing that if this is really historically true, spiritually true, impacting my life, how could I be doing anything else? You know. It's like, the, what, you know, what else would I be doing spending my time uh, ex- except telling people about this amazing, uh, amazing message, amazing person? Um, and so that's kind of just been the encouragement and the motivation that I have day by day. It's this recognition. Like, honestly, Asher, I look out my window all the time and I see people who are just broken. I see people who are broken down through drugs, through yeah, sexual exploitation, through violence, through depression, through poverty. Mm. And I think about Jesus who looked out on the crowds and it said that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Um, and I'm not a shepherd, but I know the shepherd. <laughs> and so my desire is to just go out into the community and say, listen, if anybody's willing to listen, I, I believe that the answer is in Christ. The answer to these problems is in Christ. And I think the difficulty that people have to answer that other question is that so often we are being sold a gospel that's not really a gospel that looks like the gospel Jesus preached. 
it's a gospel that's good for me and I've got my sins forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. And as long as I keep going to church, you know, more or less and be a good person, more or less, I'm fine. But it doesn't actually compel me or obligate me to do anything for anybody else, much less the awkward, difficult task of sharing the gospel with someone. Mm. So I think at one level, uh, just this reproduction of a false gospel, or maybe not a false gospel, but an incomplete gospel, mm-hmm. um, has made it so that many Christians today, they don't evangelize and they don't do discipleship because they don't think they need to. Hmm. Wow, that's that's really good. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Like what, or maybe th- one of the questions I wanted to pick your brain about a little bit is... Um, the approach through which, I mean, there's kind of the way of the master approach through the 10 commandments. Um, but actually maybe we'll table that for a little bit, but just kind of the, the concept of the gospel that we are given either we think ourselves or maybe even what, what we might try to offer to others. Um, what is a more accurate view of the gospel? Yeah. Or how how is it tend to be about me? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Again, those are those are good questions, and I think um, you know I'll go back to the uh, the passage that I think all all of us know uh, in Matthew twenty eighteen and twenty. You know where Jesus tells the disciples to go and make disciples, and uh, I think it's the difference. The incomplete gospel that I think we're presented with versus the full gospel that Jesus preached is the question of allegiance to Christ you know, versus a ticket to heaven. So if I have embraced a gospel that's all about getting me saved, um, then once I'm saved, which just means, you know, maybe I assent to certain facts about Jesus or I go to church or believe certain things, um, certain doctrinal things, then I'm good. You know, everything else is just kind of gravy. And that's kind of how I felt like it was in the, maybe the broader church community in which I was raised. We were all just kind of coasting, waiting for the Lord to come back. You know, we had gotten it (laughs) and, you know, we were fattening ourselves up with teaching. And I grew up in a a broader, we don't call it denomination. It's a denomination. We don't call it that, a broader community uh, where we had all kinds of good Bible teaching. I just received lots of good Bible teaching, but I felt like we were just getting so fat on it, uh, you know, and we were never sharing anything with anybody else. Um, And you know, kind of broaden it out to evangelicalism in general. I don't even think you have some of the good teaching. It's just, you know, you just got the golden ticket to heaven. Whereas Jesus is saying, no, I'm gathering around myself a completely different way of being human, Hmm. a different way of being community, like a a kingdom to rival all kingdoms. Uh, And I've given you a task to do. Uh, I've given you marching orders and when he comes back, you know, he's going to expect, you know, we look at the parables in the end of Matthew, also in Luke, where it's like, okay, what'd you do with the talent that I gave you? Did you hide it in the ground? Or even worse in Luke, you know, it says the servant mistreated the other ones uh, because, you know, my master's a long time in coming. I can get drunk and I can do whatever I want to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a picture of what the church, uh, so much of what the church is doing right now. Um, we've got studies and we've got games and we've got activities and we've got all this stuff that we're doing to fill me up and get me fed. Um, But we don't see this need to embrace this vision of a completely counter-cultural community that Jesus is creating 
which would then compel us to go out and bring other people inside. You know, it's just yeah. optional. Or even worse, it's, well, it's the pastor's job. <laughs> so I don't yeah. have to do it. Isn't that what we're paying you for? Yeah. So this kind of brings me to one of the posts that I saw from you recently that, that intrigued me on um, penal substitutionary atonement. I can't even remember what all you said, but uh, you, you would embrace PSA. Is that correct? Which is uh, pretty typical for any, anybody in the Western form of Christianity. Even, right. I don't even know, like in Anabaptist circles, what is the standard? Because it seems fairly varied. But, but there's a lot of, I mean, PSA kind of uh, infiltrates all of our concepts. That's something that I've been um, processing a lot because there's, there's definitely like, I, there are some groups circles out there, Facebook groups, uh, conversations I've observed, been a part of that are very strong, maybe uh, Christus Victor yeah. uh, theory or um, very much against PSA. Right. I would personally lean a lot farther away from PSA than what, yeah. um, what I think is healthy. Thank you. Um, and, uh, but I don't like people who are strong, Christus Victor still have yet to give a robust answer to some of the scriptures, at least that I've observed this, <laughs> all of these topics are things in biblical studies degree. You kind of dip your toes in. It's not like right, you exactly. study super in depth, but yeah. Um, from what I've seen, I, I've yet, like there are, there is scripture that shows that God, it, Jesus was a substitutionary, like a tone, uh, a sacrifice on our behalf. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I've, one of the questions that I've really wrestled with concerning PSA is, has it contributed to this view of the gospel where, okay, Christ is saved me and and more particularly um i recently read a book by my, um gorman i think it's michael gorman some something gorman i don't have it close by but um it's called the death of the messiah and the birth of a new covenant and more po pointing out actually he doesn't really try to refute theories of atonement but yeah. rather talk about how all the other theories kind of focus on the penultimate goal of atonement as mm. opposed to the ultimate goal like the second to last sure goal, as opposed to the final <laughs> goal mm. and he's he's making the case in this book that the final goal is the final purpose of jesus's death was mm. to birth a new community a new covenant of people that um and it's a really in-depth book. He uses way too many adjectives. It's a little technical <laughs> to read, but it creates a really beautiful vision for the church and for people who are entering into the suffering of Christ mm -hmm. in sharing the gospel even and how that is like we are saved in doing that as well. Like that is a part of that sounded maybe a little wrong. Um, you'd have to read the book to get a, <laughs> but I'm curious what your thoughts are on, like has PSA contributed to 
kind of an individual like Jesus died for me. I'm my slate is clean. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, certainly speaking, certainly I cannot, I can't speak to the history of it because that's just, that's just not something that I'm read enough in. Uh, but I think in the current day, I would, I would think the answer is no. I think that would just be to give people too much credit um, in the sense that we are a small breed of people who sit around thinking about penal substitution, penal substitutionary atonement versus Chris's victor versus ransom versus recapitulation. Um, I don't think people are thinking, I don't think people are thinking in those terms. Um, and, you know, you ask any average evangelical, what does the death of Jesus mean? I don't, I don't know what the person would say, what it would, what it would look more like. And uh, I don't want to pick on anybody, but I, you know, even some of the Anabaptist people who I've heard, and I, I my theology lines up very well with the Anabaptists. Um, but some of the Anabaptist people who I have um, heard maybe critique penal substitutionary atonement a little bit more um, or say that it's not kind of historical to Anabaptist thought, um, well, that um, that may or may not be true. People, you know, other people know more about that than I do. But I don't know that the first thing that people think about when they think about conservative Anabaptism is evangelism, okay? I know lots of evangelizing uh conservative Anabaptist, Zach Barkman, uh, you know, mm. Zach is, is one of those people. Um, Byron Smucker, I don't know if you know him, but um, he was in a, 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 in a Bible study with him. I, I could name other people. Um, but my only point with that is you can look at communities of people who maybe traditionally accept it and traditionally reject it, um, who are not evangelizing. I don't think... I don't think it really has to do with our view of atonement. Um, I think it really has to do with our view of uh, a responsibility and the message that we've received. Mm. Um, there's nothing about me saying that Christ took the penalty for my sin uh, that should keep me from ignoring the millions of places in scripture that tell me I should share the gospel. You know, yeah, it's just a question yeah. of, am, am I being obedient to the full teachings of scripture or, or do, or am I not, you know, at one level, um, and I think that broadly across um, both Anabaptist, Evangelical, Protestant uh, circles, we've really seen a crisis of evangelism and discipleship, you know, mm-hmm. um, in which we're really setting people up for failure. We've seen a number of cases recently, uh, high profile cases where people have walked away from the faith. Maybe they're a singer or, or whatever, or an author. Um and, you know, you can look in the specifics of each one of those situations, um, but it's amazing to me how people's, um, how they come into the faith and what their experience is with the kind of teaching that they've received uh, plays into, you know, how that faith either develops or dies off as time goes on. So I don't mm-hmm. think it has so much to do with um, atonement theories as much as other factors. Yeah. Yeah, no, you make a really good point because you don't think of Anabaptists or other groups that that would be strong Christus Victor or something as as being necess- inherently evangelistic in their approach. Um, yeah, I uh, I I totally agree with you on on the the fact that how we understand the gospel affects 
our motivation for for that. I also think there's other aspects like wealth, perhaps, and our material comfort that might play into um, our passion to share the gospel. Also, maybe the uh, proximity that we are to other people who don't know. So, So, yeah. Reading today in one of my classes, I have to. I'm taking a because my school's a Methodist school. I'm taking a history of Methodism class, uh, which is riveting. <laughs> but uh, um, I was reading about how John Wesley and Francis Asbury and some of the other early Methodist pioneers rode hundreds of thousands of miles on horseback to basically take the frontier for Christ. I mean, they would go out to the most random remote cabin to tell people about the gospel. Um, as I was reading it this, this today, you know, I just felt so convicted um, because there's not an excuse. I mean, any excuse that you can put up, you know, there's a solution if a person wants to find a solution. The reality is these people felt in their bones, in their spirits, in their hearts, that they had a message that was precious and important. And it didn't matter what happened, whether you got malaria because you got, you know, lost in the swamp or, you know, whether bandits were trying to shoot at you or or whatever else was happening. Uh, you were going to go out and spread that message. And I can't remember the exact statistics of like, you know, the 700 of the first people who were, you know, consecrated and sent out. Something like nearly half of them died before they were 45 just because they were just exhausted and they were sick or mm. they were killed or persecuted or whatever. Um, and, it, and it really is just an indictment on us today with all of our comfort. And it's mm. never been easier to share the gospel than it is today. You don't, you know, you just have to lift a finger, just go on Facebook or, you know, something like that. And yet we see, I think, fewer people than ever who are really interested in doing it. Yeah. Yeah. What, so just to kind of transition a little bit um, into approaches, because there's a lot of, you're right, it's never been easier. We've um, got a couple of things running through my head, but like one of the, there's no excuse. You said something about there's no excuse. And I right away thought of several Mm -hmm. excuses that we use. (laughs) And (laughs) one of them being spiritual gifts like there there's emphasis on spiritual gifts and evangelism is one mentioned the evangelists or one who evangelized i forget exactly how paul yeah, an evangelist, yeah. but um my um do we a, cu- a couple questions yeah why why how do the different spiritual gifts interact when it comes to discipleship. And I I just come back to that word because that's what Jesus uses in Matthew 28, specifically Uh, Paul would use being an ambassador. You mentioned that earlier. And so those are a little more ambiguous terms. It's not, but even with, so, so yeah, how do the different spiritual gifts interact in discipleship? Is there really a group of people that don't necessarily have to, say with their mouth, the gospel. Um, And then kind of with that, the second question is, do we have a too narrow perspective on what evangelism looks like? Like Mm. we, we think of evangelism going up to random strangers and handing a tract 
or telling the gospel story right then and there is that is that too narrow of a view of what evangelism is so just kind of throw those two questions at you see yeah wow um i think the tell me again your first question i want to answer that one <laughs> sorry um how the spiritual gifts interact. So ah, like somebody, spiritual gifts, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah the spiritual gifts. Okay, so uh, is there a specific group of people who do not have to speak the gospel with their mouths? No. <laughs> I think the answer to that question is clearly no. Uh, just for two of the scriptures that I cited with um, uh, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, mm-hmm. uh, and then also the passage in Second Corinthians where Paul calls us ambassadors. Um, of Christ. This is just what it, this is part and parcel of what it means for us to be followers of Jesus, to tell other people about Jesus. And, uh, you know, this, the list of spiritual gifts are interesting uh, because, you know, Paul does not get into specifics <laughs> about mm-hmm. uh, what does it mean? What's the difference between an, uh, a teacher and an evangelist and a prophet and some of those other things? Um, you know, because I've always been, just personally speaking, sort of skeptical because they used to give us, I don't know if they ever just like a minute in circles or whatever, but a couple times in different churches, I took like a spiritual gift test. Yeah. And they asked you all these different questions and stuff. And then that tells you what spiritual gift you had. And I, I'm, you know, I don't even remember what I got. It probably was one of those tests where like you get a different thing each time you take it. <laughs> but, um, uh, I always wondered, like, this is a great deal of specificity when Paul doesn't really go into great detail. Um, and so, you know, I can't really, you know, wax eloquent on that, except to say that I don't think that it can be used as an excuse to not do something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I can debate whether or not there are prophets today and what, you know, different kinds of prophets or whether there are apostles today or whether that word apostle is different than, you know, one of the 12 apostles and what are the requirements or whatever. But sometimes I think at the end of the day, those are really just excuses to get out of the general call that we see in other scriptures. Mm-hmm. So at the at the most, that could help narrow our, our roles and what we should be doing. But it certainly does not excuse anybody from sharing the gospel. Um, and then uh, your second it, question was... yeah. Just to dovetail on on yeah. what you were saying, like Paul is is not as specific as we like to be. It's also sometimes, especially in Ephesians, Corinthians is maybe a little more personal. But um, when he's talking about it, it's hard to tell if he if he's saying a person like you will be given one particular spiritual gift, or if the church is given these gifts, and like you might if you're out evangelizing the holy spirit might manifest evangelism through you and then if you go to church and teach the holy spirit might manifest teaching through you and it's not like i i am one thing for all my life (laughs) yeah Yeah. right like the like the enneagram like i'm a number you know or whatever (laughs) yeah and and if you think about it one of the gifts given there is service you know gifts of service And so who shouldn't be serving? <laughs> Can I say yeah. that I'm, you know, I'm the, I'm an evangelist, <laughs> but I don't have to serve. You know, I think we find all kinds of creative ways to try and, you know, wiggle out of some of our Christian responsibilities. But again, I just go back to uh, the most the spiritual gifts can do is help kind of narrow or shape our direction, but it's not going to exclude us from the general responsibilities, you know, that, that, 
the scripture has given us. Yeah. Yeah. So then my second question was, do we have too narrow of a view? Like, Uh is the reason evangelism freaks us out and some of it like that, that to me is um, something that like, it's been revolutionary for me. I'm trying to think if there's specific books or people that I've listened to that have changed my way of thinking on this, but I used to think of evangelism being the going out and telling total strangers the gospel story. And and I have done that quite a bit. And there's sure. still times today when I'm, I just feel the spirit telling me to go say something or offer to pray for someone or whatever. Yeah. But to um, like, that's one way we could be evangelists. Mm-hmm. There may even be other ways. Like even, even if you look at Paul and like, I think the only, we have examples of Paul in Athens, which seems to be like middle of the city preaching, but that would have been common there in Greece with philosophers and, and it was, he was amongst other philosophers. Um, then you have uh, the New Testament church in Acts going into the temple, which would have been a common place mm-hmm. to talk. And then we have uh, Peter and um, uh <laughs> Stephen, um, uh-huh. who, like there's events that take place that kind of gather a crowd and then they, yeah. then they speak. Um, so we don't have just a ton of biblical examples of people going with to a street corner and just starting to bellow to people who haven't gathered for the purpose of like thinking through and, yeah. and rationalizing through these things or, and so I wonder if, if we found, if we looked for context that would be more natural to share the gospel or to ask que- questions that would probe thinking, would that take away some of the fear as opposed to thinking like I should just go out to a street corner where I don't know anybody and yeah. try to convince them to listen to this story or whatever? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there are a couple things there. Um, I think one of them is the distinction between witnessing and evangelism, which is not necessarily a scriptural distinction, but I think it's a distinction that's helpful. Uh, and then just the distinction between different contexts in which we're sharing the gospel. So the difference between, I think, witnessing and evangelism, the way I think about it, um, we have a way of talking about evangelism. Sometimes that can just mean saying anything about God or our faith. Um, mm-hmm. And there's nothing, I mean, as a word, there's nothing wrong with that, but the implication of evangel, you know, of the gospel, um, is that we're talking about the gospel. So I think that is a pretty, if we're going to be, you know, literal about it, that is a pretty strict term. You're not evangelizing unless you have actually shared the gospel. Mm. Um, but that's not the be all. Well, that, that is the be all end all, but that's not the only thing that we, we should be doing. There's also a broader category of just witnessing to the truth about who God is, about the faith, about Jesus, that may not include a full gospel presentation. Um, and I think what stops people, and this kind of gets into your question, is feeling like, oh, no, I, I want to say something to this person at the gas station, but I don't know how to fit the full plan of salvation into this conversation or the full story of redemption and the cross into this little conversation. Oh, whoops, they're in the car. It's too late. 
you know? And that happens over and over again when sometimes it's like, you just have to know the time and the place and your limitations and you're just not going to get it all out. You know? So that doesn't mean that we don't do anything. It just means that we do what we can. And that, that's how I look at uh, as witnessing. Um, and yeah. then with regards to uh, how we're doing it or on the street corner or personally, um, I have always been reticent to use examples of, how should I say this? I've always been reticent to kind of narrow our approach to evangelism by looking at specific examples from like the book of Acts. Um, and you can see a lot of evangelism books that's like evangelizing like the first Christians in Acts and things of that mm-hmm. nature. And my concern with that is as important as it is to look at the biblical examples because it's very important and be shaped by that. We also have to understand that was taking place in a particular context, historical context, with certain limitations um, that may not apply today. I'm of the mind that we should just do everything. <laughs> everything that works, everything that doesn't contradict God's law, everything that doesn't, you know, offend, you know, try to go after a person, we should be using every available avenue. Um, so if that means going on the street corner and talking to somebody, go on the street corner, but that doesn't mean that everybody should go on the street corner, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. everybody should do what they can do to witness and get the gospel out, but we're not all going to be doing the same things. And something that, um, because people, for example, will cast aspersions on door to door ministry. Mm. Um, but how many people have been become Mormons or Jehovah's witnesses because they got a knock on their door. And the thought that I always say to myself is, um, there are, Right now, in all of our communities, most all, if not all, but probably all of our communities, there are people desperate enough that if two teenagers came to them on bicycles and told them, you know, the gospel that are exactly black and white, you know, this restored gospel of Jesus Christ with another book that's not the Bible and all the things that our LDS friends believe they'll accept it. There are people every single day in this country who accept that. Um, And yet, and so doesn't that mean then, doesn't that imply that we should be the first people to be getting the jump or we should be excited thinking, if I have to knock on a hundred doors just to get one person who's interested, wouldn't I do that? Now, again, I don't mean everybody should do that, but we should have a willingness to use all of the things at our disposal that the Lord has given us to reach mm-hmm. people, whether it be door to door, whether it be talking to people at work, whether it be sending letters, handing out Bibles, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe it comes back to our fear of rejection a little bit. Or... And I totally get that because yeah. you know what? Uh, it's not fun. I, I'll tell you a really like just a terrible story. <laughs> I remember I was on the bus on the way back from work. And uh, there was a lady and she was talking about Noah's Ark and she was just kind of casting aspersions on it. And she was you know, talking about how I can't believe people believe that and whatnot. And, you know, just talking very loudly about it. And I saw this lady on the bus all the time. And I thought to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I had this really cool booklet at home and it talks about the evidence for just science in the Bible, generally speaking. I'm like, I'm going to give her that the next time I see her. So I'm on the bus and I'm just waiting for her to get on or whatever. And so she gets on, you know, we're, we're taking off 
And uh, I get up out of my seat and I have this pamphlet. And I can't even remember what I said. I just said, you know, I think I heard you, you know, a day ago or a week ago, whatever it was, uh, talking about this. So we're certain. And I, I just wanted to give you this, um, this pamphlet. And uh, she looked at it and said, mm, no, I'm good. No, thank you. And it was in front of everybody on the bus. And they had all heard me offer this. And I had to take my walk of shame back to my seat with this pamphlet in my hand. Uh, and it was yeah. just super awkward. You know, your face is hot. And thankfully, no one can see if I'm <laughs> blushing. <laughs> I probably was. But um, you know what? Even after how you know awkward and I want to say humiliating, a little bit embarrassing that was, the reality is we God has entrusted us in be- obedience and we entrust to God the results. I yeah. tell people evangelism is going to be awkward sometimes. It's just going to be awkward. You're going to mm-hmm. be in your groove. You're going to be talking to somebody and then they're going to get a phone call, you know? Oh, sorry, something happened and I, I, I need to leave. And you're just kind of like left there like, oh, no, I was, I was just getting started, you know, or millions of different things can happen. Uh, you just have to be prepared for that. Um, recognize that it's not always going to be perfect. The person isn't going to accept Christ right then and there and just kind of do what you have to do. I feel like if people can just accept that first part, that it's going to be awkward. Sometimes it's going to be difficult. People are going to say no. Um, that that's, that's the hardest part of it because at the end of the day, what's the worst that someone can do to you? <laughs> you know, apart from being in, you know, in a closed country or something, the worst that somebody's going to do to you here probably is say, no, thank you. You know, maybe yeah. they'll be a little bit rude. Uh, but we just kind of have to have a tougher skin about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, oh my, just lost my train of thought. So. <laughs> Oh, and not comparing ourselves to each other. Like if we if we know of someone who's like, man, he has so many great conversations and stuff, and mine always just like yep. that. Find find like I guess I guess the thing that I've been thinking a lot about is I think we limit or narrow evangelism to a personality style, mm. and you can evangelize in your personality style, like whatever maybe that is just um having like something my wife and i have enjoyed in our marriage is inviting people into our home and around mm. the table like yep. ministering to people and, and just uh getting to know neighbors and stuff that way um that is that's excellent. we find that way less fearful i mean you do still like when you don't know someone or when you're not sure how they're going to receive the gospel like you you still kind of have that anxiety when the moment comes but it's easier and right quite frankly kind of thrilling to think of that as opposed to going to downtown and trying to be a apostle paul on athens or something yeah 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 Yeah, again it's not it's never uh either or and it's never i have to do everything you know yeah. there are just some things that work better for some people um and you know there are just certain things that you know people look at you oh you're such a good you know evangelist or whatever there are certain things that i can't do you know there are certain things that scare me or confuse me or i'm not very good at it um and there are some people who are more natural at other things it's just finding what works for you i think it was ed Stetzer who said and the best evangelism technique is the one that you'll actually use. <laughs> and I think that's so good 
Because yeah. at the end of the day, what good is it if you found the perfect technique or the perfect book or you know the perfect teacher, material, whatever, if you don't use it, you know? And yeah. if you're so just scared or terrified, one method, okay, drop that one for a little while and go do something that you can actually do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, kind of shifting maybe a little bit again. Uh, are you still with me? You froze. You still there? Yep. There you go. I can hear you. <laughs> Sorry. Can you see me? Yeah, yep. I can see you now. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I, I got a few different things here that I don't want to, my last, the last episode I released was two hours long and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know that I want to do two hour episodes all the time. But, um, I think the one I did with Zach was close to three hours. We split it into two different um, episodes, but did you do one with Zach, Zach Barkman? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Oh, I it's didn't know that. I'll have to go listen to that. Probably back in March. I think I did the same thing with him that I did with you. I didn't, I didn't share any okay. questions ahead of time. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the different people that I have on, I do shoot some <laughs> questions and give you a heads up where I go. But um, yeah, that was yeah. fun. Um, I'm curious what just to um, dabble in theology a little mm-hmm. bit more. Again, this is kind of a realm that there's a whole uh dark hole black hole i guess you could call <laughs> of vortex the, the theology but um how much does our eschatology our view of end times affect the uh way we live today and how passionate we are about evangelism Uh, I think it affects it a lot. Um, And I thought about this a lot lately, um, just in general about how eschatology just kind of affects the way that we live. Um, Because probably you, like me, was raised with this idea. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'll just just speak for myself. Um, I was raised with the idea, not necessarily my parents, but just kind of the broader church culture that was a part of that. Eschatology is kind of a fun little debate to have at best, at worst, it's a complete waste of time, uh, mm-hmm. and we need to be focusing on the things that actually matter, okay, the actual practical things. Well, there are a couple of problems with that anyways, uh, because in Matthew, in the Olivet Discourse, you know, the, Jesus says, look at this beautiful temple, you know, not one stone here will be left in another, and the disciples ask Jesus, you know, when will this happen, and what will be the signs of your coming? And Jesus doesn't say, how could you ask that? You thick-headed people, why didn't you get it? You know, it's just about, you know, loving God and loving others. Focus on the things that matter. No, Jesus goes on this huge entire discourse about, yeah, there's going to be signs in the the skies and, uh, you know, wars and rumors of wars and all this stuff. He answers their question because it's important that they know and that they'd be on the watch. Uh, and that really goes towards, um, you know, how uh, it, it interacts with evangelism. If you don't have an imminent sense of this system of things, this world that we see around us, these governments, this economic uh, arrangement will one day actually come to an end, that it's not eternal, it will not go on forever, then you're going to be you're going to be very comfortable and you're going to be very complacent. You know, you're just going to be swept along by, uh, 
you know, the, the fads that come and um, not even just the fads, but just the way things have always been. Um, I think about how um, uh, in Peter, uh, you know, he recounts the, uh, mm, the refutation that people tried to give the second coming, uh, yeah. you know, from the time of our forefathers until now, things have always gone on like they always have. These people did not have a realized eschatology. They didn't have an eschatology that said, no, God's going to keep his promise in his due time. And until then, it's our job to be going out and telling people about this coming kingdom. So before, I've always been pretty passionate about evangelism, to be honest with you. But when my thinking about the kingdom changed hmm. and how God is going to, through Jesus, Sounds like there was a fallout here. Um, yeah, you go ahead. Peek out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Took a tumble off the chair. Okay, the I'm like, man, I heard that from way over here. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Oh my goodness. Oh. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be okay. What What were you saying? I don't know. <laughs> what was I saying? Yeah. Peter, the reputation that um, oh yeah they, yeah yeah they didn't have a yeah the question about um, and an excellent question about how our our views of eschatology um, you know inform our, our views of the end time yeah the reality is that um, the, the world and the things of the world are passing away and if you don't have a if you don't have a firm grip on that a firm understanding of that. Uh, you're not going to be compelled to go out and share the gospel. It's very possible that you won't be. And this isn't to say that we have to like debate, you know, pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, rapture, you know, that's not the idea, but you know, uh, I think it's a lot of the Bible is eschatology, uh, both in the old uh, Testament and, you know, in the the new Testament. And if I think we have a firm grasp on that, we'll have, you know, a better understanding of the kingdom, which, Relates directly to evangelism. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What um, I saw you you uh, yesterday, I think it was you had a uh, status on about if you really believe that people will to- be tormented eternally, then yeah. what are you doing about that today? And and you just mentioned that you right. don't believe that. That's a area that I've been thinking about processing probably since before I started Bible college, probably a good five years, Yeah. but not, it's not one I've jumped into and studied yet. Um, do what, what, how do you view the nature of hell? Is it eternal conscious torment or would you embrace more (laughs) conditional immortality kind of thing? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Um, I, I think like most people were raised with the idea of, you know, some kind of a literal, literal hellfire. Um, and as you maybe get older, read more, um, that kind of mod, yeah, that belief kind of becomes modified to, okay, maybe it's not like literal fire and like a literal supernatural worm that never dies. <laughs> that's eating you. Um, but it's, you know, this is a ways of describing, you know, the absence of God's presence and that is kind of the torment. Um, and then I went from that to the belief that I hold now, which is an, an annihilationist view. I do think that in mm. the end, um, the wicked will finally be destroyed, just kind of completely gone, gone, dead, dead. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. What would be and some of point, the... Go, go ahead, it. please. 
Go ahead and finish your point. Were you going to talk about the status? No, I was going to say my 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 point um, was that uh, especially regardless of your view on hell, you should be out sharing the gospel. And even though I don't, even though my big thing isn't hell or, you know, that's not my driving motivation, I'm still out trying to share the gospel. But certainly if you believed that this was everybody's last chance and then you're just going to go into the fiery furnace for forever, how, you know, if you truly believe that, how is it possible that you could not be you know, out sharing that message? Yeah. 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 So what, what are some of the um, things that have changed your view on that the most, or what are some of the passages that, that would look at? I think there are a couple things, probably uh, changes in, in three steps. Um, one step would be looking at the continuity between what the old Testament has to say about death with the new Testament um, the second step would be looking at positive passages of the description of the wicked. And then the third step would be rethinking some of the traditional passages um, for hell. Hmm. So mm-hmm. um, maybe starting with that last one, rethinking some of the traditional passages that talk about hell. Mm-hmm. Um, in the world? Oh, sorry, somebody's just sent me a message. <laughs> oh, no but um, uh, I was actually just talking about this with one of my, uh, my old, I actually wasn't my professor, one of the professors who taught Old Testament at the college that I was at. And he was asking what I believed about Revelation chapter 14, um, where it talks about, uh, you know, the torment and the fire and fire and brimstone and things of that nature. Um, And I just shared my belief and the reading that I've done and some of the further study, how if you actually look at that passage in context, uh, it's not even talking yet about final judgment talking about how the people who received the mark of the beast, whatever that is, um, are tormented in the presence of God and of the lamb. Uh, And that word presence there is also translated sight. So these people are still on the earth. They've received the mark for their decision to not be obedient. They're, They're, you know, in torment on the earth. And then several chapters later, we get to the final judgment where people are just completely destroyed with the sword. So this is a passage that people will kind of pluck out of context and say, no, look, you know, they're going to be tormented and this is ongoing. And my answer is yes, it is ongoing torment. Uh, but when is it happening? Where is it happening? Just rethinking some of those passages, yeah. going back to the ones that we've yeah. always heard and saying, well, let's look, take a look at it again. Maybe this isn't what we think about it. Um, also taking, I think, seriously some of the passages that talk about the, uh, the destruction of the wicked. Now, I understand that the point that I think that um, defenders of the traditional view will say is, well, destruction doesn't mean annihilation. And that's true. Destruction doesn't mean annihilation. But what picture do you get out of destruction? Do you get that God is going to preserve the person's life for all of eternity to be tormented or does it more fit with you're just kind of gone you know if i destroy your house you've got rubble but the house isn't there anymore that's kind of the point yeah. uh, so when jesus says do not be afraid of you know him who can um destroy the body rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell it doesn't sound like god is preserving our life it sounds like he is that our life is being ended that the second death um, mm-hmm. is a place where finally the wicked will be destroyed. And then recognizing that um, hell doesn't seem to be a part of uh, Old Testament theology in general. 
Um, mm -hmm. We do have pictures of resurrection in Daniel, that there'll be a resurrection to life and a resurrection to death. Um, and clearly, um, uh, the ancient worthies and David and others expected to spend their life with God, you know, in Abraham's bosom. Um, but we don't get this picture of um, eternal torment. You look at uh, the um, what God said to Adam, in the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. Um, mm -hmm. it, this is, of course, an argument from silence, but it seems strange to me that God didn't warn Adam that he would also go to hell. <laughs> it seems yeah. to me that the death is the least you know, worrisome part of it. It's after you die, you're also going to go into hell for all of eternity. Um, and the other, so, please. Yeah. Kind of the flip side of that is if you eat of the tree of life, you live forever. So the concept of living forever was not innate within creation. Yeah. 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 And so I think, you know, I, I, that's absolutely right. And I, so I just, for me, those three, those three aspects in general, um, rethinking some of the passages that I had thought about before, uh, trying to look at a kind of a continuous theology between the, the Testaments, and then looking at some new passages that I think kind of positively teach annihilation slowly but surely uh, change my mind on the issue. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. That I, I am very much like I would, I tell people that I lean annihil annihilationist. I say conditional immortality because I can never say annihilationist yeah. very well. But, um, <laughs> and I like that sound better, conditional. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, just for those on the audience, I don't know if you've thought can about you, this a whole lot. Can you hear that now. music outside? Hopefully not. No, I can't hear anything. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> people, people going by playing their music so loud. Usually when I'm on Bible study, I'm like, wait, let me mute myself really quick before they hear something they shouldn't. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've got enough stuff kind of going on around here. So. <laughs> good. Oh, um, but yeah, just, just for our, our listeners, I don't, I don't know how familiar people are with this conversation or if it's anything yeah. that people have talked about, but um, like Eric has talked different times about what destruction means. That's because, the language in scripture, we, 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 if you grew up in a church that I did in a church tradition that would have taught e eternal conscious torment, yeah. sinners who die are tormented forever in a lake of fire or something like that. You kind of read all scriptures that talk about Sheol or talk about yeah. death and stuff as, and you assume that end. But when you go back and look at the passages, right. it, and you quoted the one where uh, Jesus refers to um, be afraid of the one that can destroy both soul and body in hell. Um, the language is destroyed or destruction or death. Yeah. And yeah. so it's, it's relooking at what the Hebrew concept of death and um, to the throughout, like you said, in the old Testament, there's, there's not really any biblical textual, uh, processing what afterlife is like that that's kind of a in fact i'm in a i'm in a class right now called new testament backgrounds i don't have you done okay new testament backgrounds yeah at all? sure yeah. yeah and studying the intertestamental period and yeah um some of the some of the ideas that jews would have been confronted with during that exilic period or or the period when they're with other uh, Greco-Roman cultures and so forth that have a theolo theology, I guess, or afterlife 
concept. Um, th- then you, in the New Testament, you you then have a little bit more the New Testament authors interacting with thoughts about what the afterlife is like, whereas in the Old Testament you don't at all. And the the biggest offense to a Jew or to the Hebrew people would have been their family line being died, like died off, destroyed. Right, exactly. Um, yep. Um, and that's why you think of the different places where um, Esau sold his birthright. Um, uh, um, I can't pull it off my head right now, but different places where the person who was in line to carry on the, the Abrahamic line or the Davidic line and the Messiah would come through uh, maybe spilling the seed on the the ground, um, different places like that. The, the condemnation is that they're threatening to completely destroy the line. The Messiah is going to come through. Um, Exactly. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, honestly, the way that you're putting that, I had not thought of before. I think that's actually excellent. Um, I'm I'm like filing that in the back of my mind, like, okay, that's another, that's another thing to pull out. But um, I, another reason why I got to thinking about this was, okay, so what does, the what is the torment or the fires or the worm what what purposes do us of the penalty for sin is death you know we can't we cannot pay for our sin you know that's the, mm-hmm. that's the whole entire point of you know of god sending his his son to die on the cross for us but it seems to me like hell is is almost like endless payment like that's that's you trying to pay for your sin. Mm. Like, okay, this is, yeah. you know, this is, you know, what you get for, um, you know, for your sin. But it's like, no, if we, the, the payment that was made was death, you know, that's your wages of sin. The, all the torment would be something that did on top of that. And it's like, well, what, the question I was never had answered for myself was, what does that serve in God's economy of justice? Um, if if he's already told us that the wisdom sin is that, that you don't have yeah. to add on to that, you know, fire and torment. You know, these must you know yeah. signify other things or put it in a different context. Um, but that was just another 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 reason that kind of got me thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, what kind of the last question on this topic, I guess maybe is what why should this matter or why does it matter? Um, I've I've got some there's there's a specific reason that that I have been rethinking this, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, does it matter? Does it matter how we view hell? Will everyone go to heaven? But, uh, um, yeah, right. <laughs> I think in terms of does it matter between like the conditionalist view or analogous view and the traditional view, um, it, I think it does matter. It's not, it's not the most important thing. And it certainly is not mm. a thing to divide over God forbid. But, um, um, to, for me, it matters for at least two reasons. Well, really three. One is just the integrity of the scriptures. I think it's important for us to mm. understand what the Bible says about these kinds of things. Um, because if we can get a better grasp on it, just in general, it helps us to share the gospel with others and have a coherent view of what it is that we believe, uh, and, and why we, how we can defend that. 
Um, I also think it just goes to, and I guess the other two issues would be God's love and God's justice. Mm. Um, and I, I really weight the issue of God's justice um, because I don't, I, I genuinely don't think that the idea of, of eternal conscious torment is just. I think the justice for just payment for sin is exactly what the Bible says it is, and that's death. Now, of course, we know that all the traditionalists are like, wait a second, we believe that too, and I understand that. Yeah. But in my mind, it's that you die and you're dead, dead, and you're gone. To mm. add on top of that, eternal conscious torment to me seems to, is, is overkill. It's not necessary. Um, and I think it contradicts with the merciful uh, and just God that we uh, that we're presented with in the scriptures, um, who gives us the penalty for sin. He does not, you know, overlook sin. Um, but also, I was just reading in Psalms where it says that He understands our frame and He understands that we are dust. And I think about somebody, I don't know, you know, a 16 year old kid who died without Christ. Um, and, you know, I, and I have other views in resurrection, but, you know, who, who dies without mm -hmm. Christ, you know, 16 years of sin and you're going to be tortured for billions of quintillions of trillions yeah. of, of years forever. You know, I remember I was talking to a youth minister um, and this is when I was much younger. And he said, you know, here's what hell is like. Imagine putting your hand on a hot burner, you know, and feeling that heat. Uh, and how, you know, how torturous that would be for just a second. Now imagine that feeling all over your body forever. Mm. And I was just nodding along like, yeah, like that's, ex wow. Yeah, you're, you're right. That's exactly how it's going to be. Um, but when you think about it, it's like, gosh, you know, somebody who didn't have the opportunity here, maybe somebody who was confused or, you know, 16, 20 years of sin, we're not going to excuse that. But are you, is there, I don't think I can really wrap my mind around biblically how that justifies billions and billions and billions of eons of years of endless torture. Yeah. Yeah. But what are you, yeah. what are you, what is your, your reason for you thinking that I, I want to hear that? Yeah, no, that that's good. I, for me, it, I had not really thought about the conversation at all until um, I started listening to some, or one of my favorite podcasts started having some guests on to talk about the conversation. Mm -hmm. And at the time, as I would listen to those, I'm like, okay, like it makes sense. You know, I'm, if you're reading through scripture, it's like, oh yeah, the language is destruction, death. Uh, there's maybe three passages that, talk about a hellfire or, right. or torment type language. But, um, and even a couple of those are, are more metaphorical. So it's a little hard to know what exactly is being talked about. But mm -hmm. the big thing is I've had several people, I have not been someone who struggles with trusting God mm -hmm. and trusting that God is good. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't really know why that is because there's been plenty of things in life where, where I could doubt and, Sure. And I've, I've doubted. Yeah, I've had doubts, but not so much about the existence of God and that God is good. Um, but I've had a lot of people in my life who do. And it's sometimes hard to know, you know, what do I like, it's easy if it's something that I struggle with, too. And it's like, oh, these are these are things that I've learned. In truth. You know, I can spew a lot of truths. Sure. One for for some close friends, one that has been 
a big deal is eternal conscious torment and the the concept that God torments people eternally and that kind of approach of save from hell because you're going to be burned all your life and you don't want that feeling like that kind of fear-based mentality um right. even my mom would have talked about that a little bit growing up just kind of wrestling with that um and that has caused me when when the when my favorite podcast starts entering into that conversation or as i as I'm studying in Bible college and I'm looking at these, that's kind of caused me to start paying closer attention and be like, is there, because um, just, just to clear something up because yeah, I've heard it said of people who believe in annihilationism or conditional immortality, mm-hmm. however we say it, that they don't believe in hell. Yeah. And that's, that's not true. Like um, that view right. still believes there is a, destruct like the end result of walking outside of god not with god is destruction is death and it's just more than separation and torment it's just utter annihilationism right yeah annihilation and uh that as you said it it's more consistent with justice that god would bring a final end um as opposed to tormenting over and over. Like to me, that's been one of the biggest motivators to explore this topic. And yeah, I think, you know, that's more of a pastoral motivation, I guess you could say, and, or emotional yeah. one. Um, for me, it's, it's not from a personal, like I, I didn't, I don't struggle. Like if God chooses for sinners to be eternally tormented, I surrender that to God and sure. it's like, okay, you, you're God, you can do whatever, but more it's, I know people who are, uh, that's a really big block yeah. to trusting God. And I want to be sure, is that actually yeah, what I tell right. them about God? Is that the right picture right. to be painting of God? Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. that's, I think that's exactly the right idea because the reality is if it's not this issue, there are other issues that will offend people um, and we're not afraid of, we're not afraid of that, but we want to make sure we're actually offending people with what's true, yeah. not with what we've been told is true. Like yeah. if, if this yeah. doesn't have to be an issue, let's not make it an issue. Yeah. And kind of going along with what you said, the continuity of scripture, when we just kind of cherry pick scripture, like whatever church tradition background we come from, we ought to be continuously studying scripture, reading scripture. And like, is my way of understanding my belief system consistent with scripture? And over time that may get, I may realize, you know what, to be more consistent, I change in my view of eschatology or something, you know? Um, And, uh, I I agree that the the evidence in this episode we we are not showing all the evidence for conditional immortality and so forth. Right. Oh, we're just having kind of a general conversation. But exactly, uh, there are. Um, you mean we, we haven't settled the issue here? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there is there is a uh, a lot more scripture that would paint the picture of 
destruction as opposed to torment, but you're going to have to just trust us. No, go study it on your own. and uh, <laughs> Look at it. Anyways, Eric, thank you. I don't, um, it's, it's been, we're probably over an hour now. I lost track of how long it's been with the distractions with the boys and so forth, but thanks for hopping on and, no, thank you. and thanks for being a, an encouraging light on social media. We're, this is a social media world, but um, you you tell stories, you you do challenge, but it's in an uplifting way, and um, and you at least I find it uplifting. I don't know if you get a lot of pushback or not, but um, just thanks for being a model, an example to all of us of what we all should be like: making disciples, pressing in, being disciples of jesus and yeah thanks for coming on well thank you for having me on and thank you for all the what you're doing and in, in uh in a an area which really needs the gospel of jesus and uh listen we're all in this together we're all kingdom people and um, i like uh i have a a magnet on my refrigerator that says you know this is my branch of the jesus movement you know we're all in different <laughs> branches but uh, we're all part yeah. of the same movement and we're working toward the same goal and uh just got to keep plugging along, encouraging each other until the Lord comes back and brings the kingdom like we're all waiting for. Amen. Yes. Thank you. Are you, do you have a blog or anything? Do you, are you interested if people want to check you out further? Um, one place I, I definitely recommend is Restorative Faith. It's a Facebook, Facebook group on Facebook, obviously. And we've done some live events. Eric has shared shared his testimony uh and also talked about um yeah your experience you you are adopted we we didn't even get into that a whole lot here but um his experience is being adopted and then uh just his journey with that and also just how um that can be a way of fighting abortion and uh you guys had i think i mentioned it earlier but you had a got a son out here desperation <laughs> like, <it's> so, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you guys did a uh event where you talked about that you and several others i think there was maybe six of you or eight of you doing that um so definitely check out restorative faith uh eric has shared quite a bit on that are there other places you've shared other resources do you write you know most of my content and places i i do stuff if you just want to follow me on facebook <laughs> yeah. i usually shit on there you know i have a couple of different blogs and i have my youtube page but if you're if anyone's actually really interested they can just follow me on facebook for all that yeah that sounds good so michael miller from cincinnati ohio thanks for being Say on again? your your name on facebook is did I say Michael? Goodness, Eric you Miller. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Who? Eric you got Miller. me confused with another Anabaptist Miller. <laughs> <laughs> yes. By the way, you're not you're not from Anabaptist background, are you? You're no. You're Mil- don't you're don't let the don't let the beard and the last name confuse you. But uh, it's not necessarily Anabaptist. Anyways, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing the Saturday and bearing with all the interruptions we've had. Thank you. We'll talk to you later.